Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God service meeting a lot of the prayers were about freedom a lot of the words that people had gotten were about freedom and listening to the Lord and understanding that the Lord already showed up this morning to hear from you and that doesn't have to be worship that can be your frustration that can be your grievance with the Lord that can be whatever you're thankful for he more so cares about the fact that you actually want to talk to him um, so this morning as we read and as we go into worship just remember that he longs to hear from you that there's freedom to talk to him how you feel like you need to talk to him. So, here we go. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. God, I just thank you for this environment. I thank you for creating a place that we can just come and be with you and just commune with you. So I pray that as we enter into worship, that it wouldn't be about what's being sung on stage or how it sounds, but it would just be about hearing from you and giving you the praise that you deserve. And as Bill comes to speak this morning, I pray that his words would be your words. God, that you would just go ahead and open our ears before we even speak 
or whisper anything in worship, God, that you would just open our ears to hear from you. Oh, thank you, Jesus, just that we get to do that. That's so freeing. God, we thank you. Thank you, God. Just continue throughout this service, but way more so than that as we leave this place today. Let this be kind of how we live our, our lives in your presence, Jesus. We just thank you. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's not announcement time. I get to stand up here for a little while longer without Josh going at least for another 20 minutes. Um, okay. So we've been looking uh, at Jesus through the book of Mark, right, for a while now, and we have a ways to go still. Uh, we, we venture into chapter 4. There are a few more chapters after that, so we'll be working through this for a while. Uh, but we've learned uh, that Jesus came to do things a little differently, right? He sought solitude. He welcomed questions. He spoke with authority. He wasn't caught up with the restrictions presented by the law when it interfered with the work that he had to do, right, when he had some better work to meet a heart need in someone. He wasn't one to be falsely promoted. Today we're going to look at Jesus' heart for his followers, a heart that called them together and showed them how to view others. And then we'll look at how the disciples are much like us. They don't always understand this Jesus thing and what it's all about. So we're going to start at the end of uh, Mark 3, verse 31. Let me pray real quick. Lord, we thank you for um, who you are. We thank you for how you reveal yourself to us on a regular basis. We thank you how um, your blessings are new every morning. Um, Lord, be with us this morning. We thank you for your presence here among us. Continue to make yourself real to us. Reveal in us the things that don't work that you want us to let go of. Lord, we love you. Amen. All right, Mark 3.31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So last week, Josh mentioned Jesus' family looking at what was going on around him um, and what he was saying and doing. Uh, they came to take charge of him, remember, because they thought he was out of his mind. They saw him doing what the Father had called him to do and thought he was crazy. So in verse 31, Mary and Jesus brothers or cousins, uh, arrive to take charge of him, right? They send someone in to tell Jesus that they're there. And again, we see that Jesus knows what's on people's hearts before he even hears, before they even verbalize it, right? Um, when they tell him that Mary and his brothers are outside looking for him, he knows what they're feeling, how confused they are about what he's doing. But his response is, who are my mother and my brothers, right? There's so many things to pick up in these five verses, I think. Um, one, we learn that Jesus is doing God's will, going about the mini his ministry the way he is. Two, we learn that Jesus' mother loves him very much. Mary loves him very much and doesn't want him hurt. So she comes to rescue him from something he has to go through. She means well, right? She cares about him, but it's not God's will. 
This is the woman, right, Mary, who, when an angel appeared to her and said she'd be carrying Emmanuel via the Holy Spirit, responded, I am the Lord's servant. But we also see she's susceptible to weakness and lack of trust in the face of difficult circumstances to try and take control over something or someone the Lord's given her. Can anybody relate to that? I know I can, right? Here's Mary, who was obedient in such a beautiful way in one context, and who here can't resist the urge to take back the reins of control because her son is upsetting the powers that be in their society, right? She must know how far those powers will go, right, to deal with someone who is blaspheming or disobeying the Jewish law, right? So three, we see Jesus is proclaiming his model for how his followers should view themselves as a family, right? Not as part of an organization or an institution or an army. Those who follow Jesus and do God's will are part of Jesus' family, and in turn, he is part of our family. But it seems really harsh for Jesus to turn his back on his mother and his brothers like that and hold these strangers in such regard over his flesh and blood. However, he's not excluding his family. He's not excluding his mother and his brothers from this family. He's explaining that to follow him means it changes the relationships around us, right? Even the formative ones we experience uh, as, we, as we come up in life, right, with our earthly families. But Jesus goes even further than this in Luke 14, right? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his life, he cannot be my disciple. That's some strong language. Now, that doesn't need to be read literally, though. Okay? Jesus is putting in perspective in a way that reaches that culture where one's family determines much about one's life, right? Its purpose, its plan, its limitations. That to be with Jesus means to die to this life, even if that means we have to go against what our mother and father and brothers and sisters expect of us or demand of us or want for us. It means we have to go against the messages that limit how we view ourselves. Now, the families that we grow up with, with give us so much, right? Some good and some bad. Some of us can tell some crazy stories about our families. And I'm not talking like we wear Christmas pajamas on Christmas Eve kind of craziness. I mean, some of us have some real stuff in our family stories that makes it a little easier to leave behind when we hear this message, right, that we've been grafted into this family, into Jesus' family. But for others of us, our families weren't all that bad. And some of us have great families that we could depend on and who loved us well. But even those great family stories develop out of a family system in which we all had roles to play. Some of our great families would rather us stay in those roles because it's just easier to relate to us in those roles. Unfortunately, that's not how life works. We grow up. We become adults. We're no longer children. And we start to make our own decisions. We have our own relationships with the Lord something some of our families relate to and some don't. When we start to deepen our relationship with the Lord sometimes, the Lord leads us in certain directions. And we make certain decisions in response or obedience to that. And to our families, some of those decisions seem crazy. And then we may hear our family's disapproval or opposition to our decisions. And we may question whether we're hearing the Lord correctly. Right? Jesus is fine with us asking questions, though. We can ask him, am I hearing you right? Expressing doubt about what we've heard when we sense the Lord leading us, right? That's okay, but we need to remain in a posture that trusts the Lord. Even when he calls us to something, from something that is good to something that is his best for us. 
right? About nine years ago, I sensed the Lord leading me away from the practice of law. I had been practicing law in a law firm for about eight years. I was not happy. Our marriage had struggled through my life as an attorney. I knew that I needed to do something different. Ultimately, I left that law firm and started exploring getting back into the practice of counseling. But I didn't know how to do that. And I had some clients that I was still representing and helping out. So I continued to practice law under my own little LLC, that practiced over the garage. Um, and then I needed to keep up with the expenses of life. So eventually I re-entered the practice of law in a law firm, had a friend talk me into it. Oh, this will be different. Um, and that was, but that was my attempt to regain control of my life, right? It was good to provide for my family, but it wasn't what the Lord wanted me to do. It wasn't what he had for me. Finally, after that thing went sideways, I relented again and investigated my options to re-enter the practice of counseling. And a door opened that I couldn't see opening, and I've been practicing counseling clients since, ever since. Now, we just filed our taxes for 2016, a couple weeks ago. Our annual income has been five times what it was on that form that I sent to the IRS. But I'd never trade what we have now for what we gave up. Keegan might, but Jen and I would. <laughs> the Lord's best for our life is always the way to go. Now, hopefully our families support us in that. But even if they don't, we can move forward confidently with the new family of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers that we've been grafted into in Christ. Okay, so we have Mary and the brothers, right, coming to take charge of Jesus. And Jesus explains that, that anyone who does God's will is his brother and sister and mother, right? They're his family, which begs the question, what is God's will for us in this new family? And then Mark tells us the parable of the sower. Again, this is uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat, sat, it out on the lake, sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is Jesus saying, pay attention. Right? This is like, you know, you've got the three-year-old, look at my eyes. What am I, you see, look at my eyes. Right? Okay. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the, the word that was sown in them. Others 
like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now remember, in the original text of Mark, there are no chapter numbers. There are no verse numbers. Just story after story strung together by the writer to show us who Jesus is. Right? So we, we hear the story of Mary and the brothers coming to, to rescue Jesus. My family are those who follow God's will, which begs the question, what is God's will? And then Mark tells us the parable of the sowers. Now, the beautiful thing about parables is that they are multi-layered. We see something in them one time, we read them again later, and we see something, some different truth in them. This particular one we read about Mark is a little different because we also read what Mark wants us to know about what Jesus said to his disciples about one of the meanings of the parable. Now, if it was the only meaning for this parable, no preacher in history would touch this story, right? Because what more could you say, really? Jesus already said it, right? But that's not how parables work. We refer to the Bible as the living word because we believe that it continues to speak to us. And not just in that repetitive way, right, that, that a parent of a child might say, brush your teeth, like 50 times to a kid to get them to brush their teeth, right? I wonder what mom really means by brush my teeth. <laughs> I wonder if there's a hidden meaning there. Or a metaphor, I'm not, I'm not getting. No, she actually just means brush your teeth. But that's not what parables are about. Parables communicate truths through story. And as I said, often the same story communicates different truths depending on where we are in life, right? What we're dealing with at the time when we read them again. Things we never saw before. So here, we have this farmer who is throwing seed all over his land. And rather than limit the seeds to just one area of the land, he decides to cast it everywhere he goes on his property. What a wasteful farmer, right? Seed isn't something to be careless with. It's the key to sustaining one's livelihood, to providing for one's family. But this farmer isn't wasteful. He's generous. He's throwing these seeds anywhere and everywhere in hopes that it will take root and grow and bear fruit. Now, if we take the position that Jesus is the farmer in this story, sowing the word, as Jesus explains in verse 14, then we are the soils. That means that some of us are the path, some of us are the rocky soil, some are the weeds, and some are on the good soil. But the farmer spreads the seeds over everyone. Here we see the generosity of Jesus, sowing the word in a way that reaches all of us. The variety of soil speaks to us and our condition, and very little about who God is or who Jesus is, other than that he loves us enough to give us free will to tend our soil the way we want to, even if that means we're resistant to accepting the word and growing it in our lives in a way that bears fruit. But we also sow seeds all the time. Our lives and the way we live them, throwing seeds all around us. Some land on people who are like the path. Some are like the rocky soil. Some are like the weeds. Thank you. Some are like the good soil. Now here we might say, my job's done then, right? If I'm spreading the gospel all around in the way we live our lives, in the same generous way that the farmer in the parable is doing, right? I don't have any responsibility for the soil of the hearer's life, right? Again, I think this gets back to the multi-layered way parables communicate meaning. 
I think we do have a responsibility as well for the soil. A farmer who is serious about his crops doesn't just focus on the work of spreading seeds in a random field. He tests the soil to ensure that it has the nutrients needed for the crop to grow. He rotates crops from one patch to another, right, to avoid overworking the soil season after season and draining it of its riches, its, its nutrients. The variety of soil says something about the community the hearer of the word finds himself or herself in, as much as it says about the hearer themselves. If we look at soils as individuals, we see the importance of being spiritually healthy ourselves. What are we doing for ourselves to care for the seed planted within us? Are we creating space for the seed to take roots, deep roots, so it can sustain and thrive and bear fruit in the face of a harsh winter, a drought, flood, an infestation of bugs that want to devour us slowly and insidiously over time? We talk about creating space here at River City a lot. I already heard it at least three times this morning. It's in that space that we can tend the seed that's planted in us. Whether space is a location or a span of time in a day or a week, it represents our agreement with Jesus to work on our relationship with him, to be intentional about seeking his input in the stuff of our life. The times of confessing the mistakes we've made or the habits we've, been, we've allowed to dictate our lives that don't work for us anymore, the fears that we let overtake us and get in the way of being who he created us to be, to do the things that he has for us to do. Our pots for this season include one called roots. We pray that we grow deep roots for creating space for spiritual formation and discipleship and worship in spirit and in truth. We seek that as individuals. But we also, as a church family, want to create an environment that fosters the growth of deep roots as well in each of us. From the perspective of soil as community, is our community one of good soil? Does it provide the tending we need to grow and thrive? Does it provide the nutrients we need? Does it provide avenues for us to create space, to go deeper with our relationship with the Lord? That's why we plan things at RCC, like prayer week, 12, night of healing prayer, open prayer night. Does our church community rotate the crops to protect us from overwork? If you've been here at RCC for a while, you've heard us get up here from time to time and talk about the need for volunteers and city kids. Do you know why that is? Because we need to rotate the crops. We don't want to overwork our people in a way that demands they serve every week in city kids and miss out on the chance to be fed in here for worship. By securing enough volunteers to volunteer one week a month, our desire is to have a healthy crop and healthy soil to bear fruit in our young people and all of you. Nothing more. Right? We announced sign-ups for the, the Carriage House Spring Festival, asking people to volunteer for one hour, not the whole time, one hour. Again, so as not to overwork the soil. We also need to avoid the trap, I think, of seeing, viewing these soils as static spaces. Okay? As, if we're, as if once we're on this path, we stay on the path. Or once we're in rocky soil, we're forever in rocky soil. Right? We need to remind ourselves that the Lord is always pursuing us. Again, we see Jesus as the generous farmer. So even if we were currently like the path with a firm surface that the seed won't accept, we likely won't remain there. We are dynamic individuals, changing as life comes at us. And in his pursuit of us, the seed may fall when we are more like the rocky soil, and we may taste and see 
what this Jesus thing is all about. We may later be in a season where our lives are so complicated and we're pulled in a million directions and filled with anxiety over something that our crop gets overcome and choked out. But he still pursues. Those weeds can be tended. The soil gets aerated and healthy again to develop deep roots and produce fruit. Now, another aspect of this parable that speaks to me personally is that the disciples don't get it. So much so that Mark tells us Jesus has to sit and explain it to them. Don't you understand this parable, he asks them. And I'm not sure they even get it after he explains it to them. I'm not sure they understood the parable. I'm not sure they understood what he really meant when he seemed to reject his mother and his brothers. What does he mean these unrelated people are his brothers and sisters? Does that mean they're my brothers and sisters too? But when the Holy Spirit comes, we read in Acts, right? I think, I think we see that the disciples understand. Let's go to Acts 2. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise for you and your children and for all who are far off, on the path, on the rocky soil, in the weeds. There it was. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In 1 Peter, I think Peter demonstrates this even further, in my opinion, that he understood what Jesus was trying to teach them with this parable and his ministry overall. This is from 1 Peter 1. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. So Peter comes to realize, one, we're strangers in this land, even though we have families that we're a part of. And the crowd in Acts refers to Peter and the eleven as brothers. They get it. Our family, oh, Peter comes to realize, too, that our families give us a lot that is good, gold and silver. But it is empty compared to what the Lord has for us, and only what the Lord has for us, represented by the blood of Christ, redeems us. Peter realizes, three, that our hope rests in God. Not in our families, not in our possessions, not in our status. And finally, Peter comes to realize that we are, we are born again. Have an identity in the family of Christ via the imperishable seed of the word of God, who came in the person of Jesus. Now, if Peter were writing this today on his blog, I would love to read the post 
about his retelling of the time, Jesus tried to explain to him and the disciples about this parable and how none of them got it. Even after he took the time to explain it to them. Hashtag, we were clueless disciples. Do we have a ministry team? You guys can come up. So what's our takeaway today? Someone's got to sing. It ain't going to be me. So what's our takeaway today? That depends on where you find yourself in these stories. Right? One. Here's one option. This guy got five options for you. Pick one. Do you believe that you're a part of Christ's family? Do you want to be? <laughs> Two, do you identify with one of the soils? Which one? How can you till up your soil and make it healthier? Three, are you a farmer who is trying to spread the word in what you say and do in your circle of influence and are kind of fed up with how seldom people respond to your efforts? Maybe you need to reconnect with the generosity of the farmer. Four, do you think you need to tend the weeds in your life to create some space to be more receptive to the seeds the Lord wants to plant in your life? What things do you need to say no to? And finally, do you think your soil is in pretty good shape? Is there a way to share how well you keep your soil with others who struggle with theirs? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is living, that it speaks new every day, regardless of how many times we've read it. I thank you that you spoke to us in parables. You gave us stories to wrestle with, stories that reach us one day, that don't reach us another day, that reach us a, a new way the next time. I thank you that you continue to speak to us. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, wherever they may be, struggling with identity, they are part of the, your family. They can access that relationship, grafted into your family. Lord, wherever we may find, us, find ourselves in our soil, struggling with the, the worries of this life, the demands, that are placed on us and that we place on ourselves. Lord, help us to call what we need to call. Show us what we need to say no to. Lord, I thank you that you continue to pursue. You're always pursuing. You're always generously spreading the word. I pray that we would be good soil, that we would tend seeds you give us well and that we would see 30, 60, 100 fold fruit in this church in this community, in this city Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.